I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bindings. Hello, and welcome to episode four. Today we are going to be doing something completely different than we've done the last couple of episodes, and we will be covering For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway. So, um, this book is considered one of Hemingway's finest works as far as his novels go. It's up there with 1929's Farewell to Arms, uh, The Old Man and the Sea, as well as, I believe, his second book, don't quote me on that, called Sun Also Rises. Uh, I have read Farewell to Arms and I have read The Old Man and the Sea just about two months ago. I really, really enjoyed both of them. Um, the Old Man in the Sea is a very quick read. It was shorter than I had really anticipated. I would say it's more of a novella than uh, than an actual full-length novel. But Farewell to Arms, I would put up there as one of the best historical fiction books I've ever read, if not maybe the best, just in my opinion. It was really fantastic. So For, for Whom the Bell Tolls uh, was originally published on October 21st, 1940. It was preceded by 1937's To Have and Have Not, and it was preceded by 1950's Across the River and Into the Trees. So there's a pretty big gap between... Um, this book, the between for whom the bell tolls and when his next novel actually came out. Well, I'm sure he was working on writing several different pieces throughout that 10 year period. So, this story fa follows an American named Robert Jordan who is a volunteer dynamiter for the Republican, uh, for a Republican guerrilla unit in the Spanish Civil War. And uh, his job revolve in the story revolves around blowing up a bridge during attack on a, on a city called Segovia. And so the story kind of takes place within a four-day period of time, and it's him initially joining the guerrilla unit, which are all um, people from Spain. And the, the, the story is mainly in English, but there is a lot of Spanish, which is also then translated for you as the reader. And this is actually taking place during the Spanish Civil War. And to be totally honest, I really knew basically nothing about the Spanish Civil War or even that this was a thing. So I decided that I'd do some research on the Spanish Civil War beforehand to give myself a little background knowledge, to give you a little background knowledge here on the podcast, just to kind of set up what this story was basically about and what it revolved around. So in Spain, Spain was governed by a monarchy until 1931, and the monarchy was abolished and replaced by a democratic republic. Now, at this time, fascism and communism was becoming such a big thing throughout Europe, and eventually the rise of Nazi Germany through the end of the 1930s, that it was there was a lot of um, issues throughout many of the different countries. And so the war, the Spanish Civil War began in 1936. And basically, it was between the nationalist upper class, um, who, who were all supporting fascism, and the Democratic Republic, which was more just the common people and the, the middle class, I would say. And so it was actually interesting because it was the fascist upper class revolting against this new government that really, if you think about it, it was only in place from 1931 to 1936, so really not a very long time. And and if you look at this part of the world, just Europe in general at this time, um, it was in a lot of turmoil as far as the rise of communism, the rise of Nazi Germany, and aspects of politics such as that. 
So I find that very interesting just going over um, what actually occurred during this, like the reasons for this war, um, how long, who supported each side, because Spain really isn't, you know, all that big of a country if you really think about it. And one, um, one, something I read on the internet that I found fascinating was that this was kind of viewed as the dress rehearsal for World War II, because the fascists were actually supported by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy, while the Republic was supported by the Soviet Union, which would eventually um, end up playing a role with the Allies towards the end of World War II. So um, apparently when this book was written, it was really common knowledge that the Spanish Civil War had occurred, and it, was, um, it wasn't uncommon that some even Americans would have gone and supported the, uh, the Republic during that war, which is Robert Jordan, the main protagonist of this story. It was his, that was his role. He's an American. He's, um, he's actually a Spanish professor in Montana. You don't get that. You get little pieces of that throughout the story, but doesn't really play a role as far as like the, the overall plot of the story. So that's just some background knowledge of the, of the, the Spanish civil war. Now it doesn't, we don't you don't go full into like what the political outcomes of the war are in the story this story has a little bit like it's more based around the theme of war than it is actually about the spanish civil war like meaning like it's about fascism and um it's role it's kind of insurgents coming into europe but it, it kind of, in my opinion, it kind of could have been placed in probably several different or taken place in several different wars or even during World War II itself. And so that kind of when I when I initially chose to read this book after having a fascination with Hemingway over the last couple of months, I decided that um, I really wanted to figure out what the meaning of this, the title of this book was. For whom the bell tolls. It seemed like there was something lying in that title that I needed to search for and find in the book. And there's an interesting little snippet at the beginning of the story, before the book actually even starts, and it's by somebody named John Don. D-O-N-N-E. And I'm just going to read just the very last part of it, because I think it really sets you up for going to read the rest of the story and figuring out what the main theme of this book is about and why the story is called For Whom the Bell Tolls, which, like I said, was a big, like, I need, like, this was the curiosity that I went into this story really wanting to figure this out. So it reads, Because I'm involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. As I went through this book, I noticed that what this story was ultimately about is what toll, what price people pay individually when they're involved directly in a, in a, in a war. So in this story, I think what for whom the bell tolls means is for who's paying the price, who is the burden of war on. And then as you read the story, you realize that you're kind of getting a spectrum of this burden. You're seeing how this war is affected by the how the fascist upper class is affected by it, how it's affected the middle class, the Republicans. And then 
we go into these individual characters, which there really isn't all that many. At least there's really not that many that you get truly involved in in the story. Um, Robert Jordan, he's an American. He's a complete outsider. And you're getting his how he's affected by war, what toll he's paying for the war. Now, he is... He befriends and eventually falls in love with a girl named Maria, and she would be the lowest of the classes in Spain at the time. And she pays many tolls, sexual abuse, uh, other types of physical abuse that you learn about throughout the story. But it's interesting because some of this, the abuse that she takes, is from her own side. It's not just from the side that they're fighting against. So it's kind of interesting if you look at it in this way of these when you're when you're involved in a war like this and your country is involved in a war like this where the war is actually occurring in your home then you're paying these tolls that are a spectrum it's not just like your your family members going off to war the war is coming to you it's coming to your doorstep and it's something that um, as Americans, like we, we really take for granted because sure, like are we affected directly by many of these things? Absolutely. But they don't often occur here and not saying they haven't or they don't, but they, we, I think sometimes we take for granted at like how close, how to your doorstep for some of these wars in, in our, in our world's history, how close to people's doorsteps they actually got and still get to this day. So Maria's kind of like, this like the absolute like she's just had to deal with the worst of all of it. Robert Jordan is the other side where he completely volunteers to take this burden of the war on. And then there's a character named Pablo who kind of falls in the middle and he kind of he kind of drinks on you could phrase it as like drinking the Kool-Aid of the war. Like he completely is enveloped by it, does really, really horrible things for what he believes to be initially as really good reasons. But so you see this spectrum of somebody who doesn't deserve it at all, who, who shouldn't be treated or have to deal with the situation at all. Somebody who's volunteering to deal with it, to deal with it and come into the situation to lend their expertise. And then this character of Pablo who falls in the middle of, who just lets the the toxicity of the war get the best of him and ultimately makes some really bad decisions and uh, do some things that are pretty horrific. And, and keep in mind that Pablo is on the side of the Democratic Republic. Like he is who you are, who you are brooding for in the story, which is, uh, you know, fascinating because you don't like him by the end of the story. You don't consider him an antagonist, but you don't like him by the end of the story, which, which you don't. It's it's kind of a, just an interesting dynamic that Hemingway goes um, for with him. Like at times, like he's almost seems like there's like betrayal involved in it, um, which is clear, and then it kind of contradicts itself. Not like in a bad way, but like the character contradicts his like his decisions contradict themselves like it, it's a part of the story it's not like the the plot of the story is contradictory at all so it's interesting to see that these characters are so different yet so involved in each other and really just ultimately like i had said before it's not so much about the fact that it's the spanish civil war I think the point that he was trying to get across in the story as the main theme is that during these huge wars throughout the world's history, 
people pay a toll and people pay a toll and pay a price all over the spectrum of who's involved from the family members who stay at home and then eventually get the news that they had lost a son or a brother or a husband or or whoever was involved or somebody who has to directly go to to deal with the situations so it's about that there is not just one thing it's not the, it it can it's not it has to be this huge arena of different situations that can go on but we're all affected by it in some way if you think back to your family's history nowadays it's so much different because you know our directly our family members like none of my immediate family that like my mother my father my brother my sister none of them are in the military i i have i know people that are in the military but it's not as common as like my grandfather's um generation where everybody went to war like it was a part of the culture that you would you defended your country and it's not no better or worse things are definitely a little bit different here especially how we how wars are initiated and how wars are even fought nowadays but it's so much different and i think for a long time the way that i viewed war and i think this this is something that a lot of people feel does it it feel is um it was like it's like glorified the way that it's perceived through culture and i think that it still is to a certain degree but some one of my one of my closest friends once put it to me um when i was reading blood meridian by cormac mccarthy which isn't necessarily about a war in particular but a you know about gruesome bloodshed and and battles to say the least not in a like a big war fashion but we're having this discussion as I was reading this book because some of these thoughts came to my mind. And and I don't know if he got this from somewhere, but it was very cleverly said. And he said um, that that we, like a lot of times people look at war, especially because of Hollywood and because of movies, as, as Braveheart. You know, everything's like this, you know, for our country. Um, let's, let's put our lives on the line. It's this amazing thing, this heroic thing, right? Um, and he said, you know, we look at it as Braveheart, but really, I, I think it's more, a, a lot more saving Private Ryan. You know, it's not, it's depressing and it's sad and it's gruesome and it's horrible. And it makes you think that it's terrible that when it comes down to it, this is how humans have to solve some of their most serious problems is is by let's put some, you know, let's put our people up on this line and, and let them get killed for us, which... I understand that that's how it has to be and that that's this is the world that we've created for ourselves. I don't necessarily agree with it in all fashions, but I understand it. So these books, I think Hemingway is showing that. He's showing that this like war isn't this heroic thing always. Like it it like this it's a sad way for us to have to deal with our problems. Does it have to be that way? Maybe I'm not exactly sure. I I don't consider myself, uh, you know, like a like a expert in any uh, any you know war tactics or or how countries settle their solutions or settle their problems amongst each other. But it seems like that's the way that that humans have always gone about it. And and I know that directly I'm talking about this particular era. But look throughout the history of the world, like this is how humans have solved their problems for thousands of years at this point. So I I find I find these books that really kind of show 
what war is really like, I find that I find that so fascinating, and it's such a dive into what the psyche of the persons, the people who are who experience this, um, what they experienced and what it was really like, and and I got that for the first time in a book, Blood Meridian, a little bit. But like I said, it wasn't directly about a particular war, but I got it for the first time when I went, read Farewell, A Farewell to Arms, a few months ago. And it has that similar theme that it's more about, that one's more about kind of your everyday people that are just affected by the war. Um, in that story, the protagonist is a medic. He's a volunteer medic in World War I in Italy. So it's interesting to see kind of those similar themes. It doesn't go as uh, as as deep, I would say. It's still tragic, but it doesn't go as deep with the tragedy as For Whom the Bell Tolls. Now, for whom the bell tolls, um, it is tedious. It is a tedious read. If you want to get into Hemingway, I really, really recommend A Farewell to Arms because it's not very long. Hemingway is known for being like super to the point. Like his, he's blunt. This is what happens. This is what happens next. It's very. There's no uh, elusivity in it. This book, I would say, has a little bit more of that. Um, that mysterious nature to it. There's a little, you're, you're looking for the themes a little bit more, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. It was a little bit longer. My copy on my Nook um, was about 300 and almost 400 pages, 392 pages long, which uh, was significant. It was about 150 pages more than A Farewell to Arms, at least on the copies that I'm reading. So a little bit longer, and it is a little bit more tedious. You're getting a lot of, um, the main plot, which is happening over the course of four days. And then throughout, you're kind of getting background knowledge of the characters like Pablo, Maria, who is Robert Jordan's um, love interest, and seeing, like I said, that toll that they've paid for it throughout the course of the war. Now, Hemingway's writing is still quite fascinating. Uh, I love it. It's very, it's very inspirational, like as far as write, like, like, like how his creative writing works. It is interesting that in this story, he uses like the characters when they, the dialogue between them, they say like thee and thou and thy, like it's almost like Shakespearean, which is weird because uh, like, not that I didn't like it. It just, it was, I, I was just wondering is like, it was he writing the story that way for a particular reason? Was this how people talked? I'm not exactly sure. Um, A Farewell to Arms takes place in the um, probably around like 1918, 1917 during World War One. So, and he doesn't use that type of language in that story. So, I, I'm curious if it was just particular to the um, to for whom the bell tolls that he uses that language. But the writing it is 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 absolutely stellar. I loved it. Um, but like I said, it is a little bit tedious. So I would, if I, if you plan on reading this book, I highly recommend that you go into A Farewell to Arms and read that. Uh, this is considered one of his best novels of all time. Um, he doesn't have like a ton, like he has a lot of short stories. He doesn't have, you know, like compared to Stephen King, who I've been, who I've been covering, who just has like an insane amount of work. He doesn't have a ton of work. And a big reason I wanted to get into Hemingway was because of his connection. I'm from Illinois. He's He was from Illinois. His connection with traveling and um, all of his work, although it's fiction, 
when you read it, you're not 100% convinced about that. It seems real because there, it's so mundane at points that you're like, how did he come up with this? Like, this just seems to, like, when you go to write, like, in, in creative writing, at least for me, like, it ends up being, like, exaggerated to a certain degree because you want it to be entertaining. And and he still maintains that entertainment for you. But it is um, it is interestingly mundane for, like, his ability to just describe, like, the simple things. And that's where I kind of get the feeling that some of the events of this, maybe not the entire story, and A Farewell to Arms as well, some of it seems real. It seems more real than it's played out to be as a as a fiction novel. So that that's another big fascination I have with Hemingway is some of it seems so rooted in his own life. And I know some of his stories actually are like he is the main character. I haven't read any of them yet. Um, but I know that some of them, he is the main character. So I wonder if just because of the content, he didn't want himself to be like, you know, he didn't want himself to be directly connected as the main character to it. He, I guess you would want to kind of maintain your privacy and not like you're, I mean, the stories are pretty deep and um, from like, especially the ending of a farewell to arms. Like if, if I'm not going to get into what actually happens, but if that happened to him, like that's tragic. And I honestly, if something like that happened to me, I don't think it would be something that I'd go um claiming to be a part of my life in a, in a novel that the, the world is going to end up reading, you know, especially with how famous Ernest Hemingway and his writing is and how um, mimicked his writing style is like, uh, especially even nowadays, just like leaving out the, the fluff. That's one thing I love about his writing is it, there's very minimal fluff. There's not a lot of explanation on setting or the way people look. Um, or, and if he does do it, it's just very much like, he was a big man. He had a red beard and blue eyes. And that's, you know, the image you have in your head where some authors, and I'm not saying I don't like fluff because I do like it, especially it's a big part of fantasy novels, which um, I love. So I just think it, it for his stories, it works really well for him to be able to cut that aspect of writing out and, and use more of this really simple to the point kind of writing style. Now, before I close today, I want to um, really thank Joe Hangenjos, who has been editing and mastering all of, who has mastered all of the podcasts so far. I really appreciate his help. Um, he is, it's just been fantastic working with him. He does a great job. He came up with the theme. He's just been, it's just been super great working with him. It's been a fun experience, I think, for both of us. So I just want to give a shout out to Joe for helping me out. Next week, I will be covering a book that was actually, this is the first suggested book uh, for uh, Beyond the Bindings, which I'm super excited about. A coworker of mine suggested it. It's called, and I love the title of this book, it's called The Hundred-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared. It's by Jonas Jonasson, and it's actually a Swedish book. Uh, so the book is translated in English from Swedish. And uh, I've, I've gotten into it a little bit uh, just over the course of this morning, actually, and I've been loving it so far. So I'm very, very excited to get into that. Now, thank you all for listening, and I will see you next week. I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Beyond.